improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more. I'm your host, Dr. Martin Harvey. I'm a chiropractor and I'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic. Today on Under the Influence, I am joined by Dr. Jenna Davis, who is a chiropractor from Ontario in Canada. I've known Jenna for years. She's been speaking on the international circuit for a number of years. Her particular area of interest is on chiropractic care for kids and chiropractic care for pregnant women. Uh, In today's discussion, she's coming out for the Kids Summit and we talk a lot about the course that she's going to be running in the, the afternoon before the Kids Summit. Really cool program looking at the importance of TMJ and tongue function and neurological development and a whole bunch of really important, exciting stuff. And Jenna is an absolute master. She has spent a lot of time diving deep into literature from the chiropractic profession and from other related professions and bringing unique ideas to the chiropractic profession. She is in private practice still, so she's got that really beautiful balance of that pragmatic approach where she's seeing people every day and also combining it with um, support from the literature. So I think you're going to love this discussion no matter where you are on your journey in terms of taking care of kids. This is another of the group of, uh, of podcasts that I'm doing where I'm not doing my alternating me breaking down an area and with the next week doing an interview with somebody. So I'm just going to add another little mini lesson. So I'm working a lot at the moment on the content for the Retention Recipe 2.0. Basically, the Retention Recipe is all about strategies in the first 12 visits to set things up for people to, I guess, get the big picture about chiropractic, that Um, performance perspective so moving people from a pain to a prevention to a performance perspective as quickly as we can and setting it up so that they kind of can experience things that make those higher levels of health awareness more relevant to them so I'm preparing also the presentation that I'll be doing at the kids summit in September 10th and 11th in Sydney link is in the show notes Uh, and Um, what I wanted to do was kind of share a little snippet from that to give you a bit of a value for today but also relevant in terms of the discussion that I'm having with Jenna. So there's some unique challenges when we're taking care of uh, kids and babies and there's clinical challenges which people like Jenna can help you with and then there's communication challenges that I want to help you with. So some of the challenges are parents will often bring kids in for a checkup or perhaps a baby might have an issue with colic or difficulties with attachment or whatever Um, but they're still coming in very much with that condition-based level of health awareness so given that the majority of people that we work with have more of a prevention or pain level of health awareness there's some challenges in working with kids and babies that perhaps aren't as prevalent with um, adults. One is, well, they're not actually experiencing the direct 
feeling of the care and the care is often very gentle. So it's easy for people to sort of think, well, if it's that easy to correct, it's not a big issue. Um, there's also just the thing that we often, um, because with kids, there's no need for x-rays and often um, we're doing our clinical testing, it often follows on that for many chiropractors, they'll adjust on the first visit. And so we're sort of starting care without necessarily that structured framework that many of us would have with adults where before we actually start care, we're putting a frame of reference around the intent of care, i.e. a report of findings. Um, then the second factor is that they're coming in for that reason uh, and there's not many visits to sort of then educate them and have them have the experience. We know from the hierarchy of influence that the main thing that's going to change people's beliefs and therefore the, their behaviour are the things that they experience. And in this scenario, the parent is, who's making the decision about continuing care doesn't directly experience the care, so it's harder for them to experience the changes that allow people to see the difference between a prevention level of health awareness and a performance level of, a, of uh, health awareness as compared to a pain level of health awareness. Um, there's also some challenges in terms of people's perception of what a chiropractor does in that people often think of it as being more spine related and less nervous system related. And so the picture of babies or kids, well, they're not sitting at a desk for long periods of time. They're not bending over and picking something up and hurting their back. So they don't necessarily have a high level of value around the role that a chiropractor could have in helping with the child's uh, developing nervous system. Compounding that, parents are just busy and so often they've got lots of other things that they need to fit in with a short period of time and kids often don't have the same sort of availability. Older kids are at school or in childcare or in um, kindergarten or preschool. Um, and then they have activities and younger kids are sleeping and th there's limited opportunities for all the things that parents need to do. So the key really to being able to quickly do get parents to see the big picture, and there's a lot more to this that I'll be covering both in the retention recipe and also at the Kids Summit, but the first thing, the first concept that I want you to apply is to use bridging. We've been over bridging a lot of times, but which is essentially where we give people the big picture of chiropractic, but also include all the other levels of chiropractic. And the way bridging would work, let's say, for example, with a baby, um, let's say we've got a scenario where a mother has brought in a baby for colic. Now, I would very early in that discussion say, would it be okay if I just explained a little bit about how we work? And I'd give a bit of a description of the spine, nervous system, neural development. And then I'd say, look, people typically use our practice or use me as a chiropractor in three different ways with their babies um, and kids. The first, first way that they use it is in this sort of scenario where you've got an unsettled infant and they want to see where the chiropractic care can help the baby be more settled. And um, then after that, let's assume that we're able to help uh, Olivia and she's much more settled. Often parents after that realise that their spine and nervous system is going to go through a lot of different um, pressures and, and changes as they grow and develop and change posture and their, their relationship to gravity and they just want to keep on top of it and sort of prevent 
issues from coming up by getting a checkup along the way. And then there's other people who realize that their body, that babies and children's bodies are changing and developing and that there's sort of windows of opportunity for the nervous system to make connections that need to kind of be made at that time and that having checkups may be a way to help that happen more optimally as well as getting advice on ways to help with kids growth and development from that um, how the body moves perspective which is an area that we have expertise in. Um, so the first step then is that type of thing where we have a different version of bridging for babies, a different version for kids. The key distinction here is the version of prevention and performance are slightly different in that often with performance and adults we're talking about application to a particular area of lifestyle that people would see value in performing at their best. With babies and kids we're really looking at it in one way more generically in that we're wanting them to grow and develop to be their best. Um, the way that we would translate that though is that is a very high value for parents. Parents will typically see their role as a parent to provide an optimal environment for the child. And so essentially what we're doing with that description is describing our care as being a, a way of nurturing their child to grow and develop to their best. Super important then if we're doing bridging and we're essentially offering people something more than what they came there for, uh, that we be that we're careful not to be too emphatic about trying to push people into doing something. Um, we've spoken previously on the podcast about the idea of reactance, where if people feel like they're being pushed too much, if they feel like their autonomy to make decisions for themselves is being impinged on, then it creates reactance, where we choose to do something, choose not to do something rather even if we can see it as logical to do so. And um, the reason for that is that it feels kind of unsafe to do that, to have somebody else taking over our decisions. Now, when we look at the role of a parent making decisions for a child, there's even higher level of emotion wrapped around that decision. And so it's even more important that we reiterate that that's their choice. So putting this all together, taking care of kids and babies is, as we'll hear in the discussion in a moment with Jenna, an amazing way to have an impact on the health of people in your community. And it's a fairly, it's a completely unique input that chiropractors can have there uh, and to do that that one of the most important strategies is to let people know that's available as early as possible and we need to do that by using a special form of bridging and then we're going to combine that with an autonomy statement where we reiterate that it's up to the child so in practice the way that would work is um, so uh, there's the three different ways that we can help people I'll explain exactly what that would look like for Olivia. Um, and then it's completely up to you whichever version of them you want, whichever version of care you want to do, whether you want to deal with it just in terms of the symptoms that she's got now, whether you want to work more in a, after that in a preventative capacity, um, or whether then you want to work in an ongoing performance or wellbeing, wellness sort of approach. Completely up to you, but we'll talk about that further down the line. So 
Moving on then from how we might approach communication on a first visit, that's the perfect segue to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jenna Davis. Hi, Jenna, great to see you. Nice to see you. It's, it's so nice to uh, be both catching up in this forum, but also uh, pretty soon going to be catching up in person in Sydney next month, but we'll get to that very, very soon. Before we get to that, most important question of under the influence, what sort of coffee are you under the influence of these days? Well, funny you should ask. Um, I am still going for flat whites. Excellent. So flat whites, interesting. You were the first person I had a flat white with. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. So like years I've ago come... when I came to Australia, um, we went out for coffee and I said, what do you recommend? And you're like, you know, if we're just getting you started, let's go for a flat white. And so, uh, so it's yeah. still... I love it because when I was younger, I loved cafe au lait. That, that was sort of my, my, my new thing when I was new to drinking something fancy. We'll call it that. And then I yeah. transitioned to some cappuccinos. I mean, I know very standard, but then cappuccinos, it was almost like not enough, right? There's too yeah. much froth, not enough coffee. And so then I'm like, Ooh, this flat white is kind of a perfect marriage of these two. Excellent. So it was and how, how easy is it to get a flat white in Canada these days? Now it's very easy. They, you can very get a flat white almost anywhere. And the, the big ones are like the oat milk flat whites. And, but they're not nearly as good. No, it's an abomination say. really, isn't it? Yeah. It really yeah. is. So now where are we, I know you're currently on sort of semi-vacation. Where do we find you today? Today I'm in the I'm in Muskoka's in Ontario, Canada. So about three hours north of two and a half, three hours north of Toronto, Ontario. Yep. And it's beautiful. I look across and I've crown land across the lake and I'm staring out at the lake. It's just uh, it's my happy place. I find I can decompress in about 20 minutes here compared to, you know, three days on a normal vacation. So a weekend here is like a, a week long vacation. Fantastic. And so your practice is, where's your practice relative to the lake house that you're at now? Um, it's about three hours away. So it's in yep. Oakville, Ontario. So that's about, well, it depends with or without traffic. So on a, after a holiday weekend, it's about a four to four and a half hour drive home. And otherwise it's <laughs> about a, just under three. <laughs> nice. Yes. Traffic is a real thing. So tell us, Jenna, I'm super excited to have you on the uh, podcast because you have an area of, um, I guess, sort of special expertise that I think will be of a lot of interest to my audience. But tell me, what are the, what's the influence that you are trying to have in the world these days? Um, I would find the influence has sort of transitioned. I think you would relate to this too, Martin, that as we evolve in our lives and our practices, sort of our, our area focus or where we feel um, drawn to share or the topics we feel drawn to share about shift. And so for me, it's um, a true love for pediatrics. Now I'm a family wellness chiropractor, so I'm not just a pediatric chiropractor, nor will I ever be, but the massive impact and also the underservice um, pediatrics are the massive impact you make as a chiropractor working with pediatrics, but then also they are so underserviced. We're not taught about pediatrics. We're in, um, I, I see so many young chiros and even 
chiros who have been practiced for 20 years who just don't know how to care for them because all they've been taught is talking about pain. So my, my expanding upon that, I've also done a huge amount of work and research branching out. So kind of breaking through barriers is a big influence piece for me where we can get outside of just chiropractors to chiropractors. We need, we are the best kept secret out there. So really reaching beyond breaking through those barriers. I started with doing work um, with fertility patients. And then I've transitioned now to doing a lot of work with oral function, tongue tie, and which links directly and beautifully to the vagus nerve. So I guess my influence is taking neurology and making it digestible and making it clinically applicable and allowing all of us to really make that massive impact, especially in the early years and through the teenage years, which is going to alter the next generation of chiropractic practice members. So tell me what's, you'd say it's directly impacting the vagus nerve. What's the connection between oral function and vagal nerve function? Um, So it's actually so cool. When our tongue functions properly, so our posture actually begins at our tongue, which most chiropractors or most people just don't know. So when our tongue is actually functioning properly, let's look at a baby. So the baby's tongue does a mermaid-like action and it's supposed to um, stroke the palate or the roof of the mouth. There is a spot right at the front behind where the teeth will be that when our tongue is resting, that's actually stimulating the vagus nerve. Also, when it's doing the mermaid action, um, the way their neck is moving and their jaw is moving, that is actually stimulating also the vagus nerve in the upper cervicals. So all of those, you know, we've always talked about chiropractic really helps with colic. Now, yes, we are talking about nervous system. Please, anyone listening, I'm not saying or nor ever um, am I saying that chiropractic cures anything, but we know that children who are under chiropractic care or babies, their colic seems to improve, that symptomatology improves. Well, we have discovered that that is also the vagus nerve, remember, goes right down and impacts our digestion. It's at the upper cervical. So it is so beautifully linked together from a standpoint of oral function. And the other um, piece is I've really noticed over the last couple of years, so much mask wearing for adults, we've had our mouths open, people mouth breathe. So our tongue has a low posture now, which is changing our airway, but also made it so us, even as adults, are not stimulating our vagus nerve the way we naturally would have. So we are in much greater state of sympathetic dominance or Mm -hmm. um, parasympathetic shock. And so you uh, can I just make sure that I understand that you're saying yes. that um, the mouth breathing and the lack of the correct position of the tongue associated with mouth breathing reduces activation of the vagal nerve and therefore people sort of default to sympathetic dominance. Is that the right yes. linking there? So, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's one piece of it for sure. And, um, and then add on top of that with our mouth open, our anterior head carriage which is then changing our entire posture, putting us into that stressed, flexed posture as well. Okay. Yeah. So So can I just direct? It's directly linked to the position of the tongue as well as add on top of that changes in our posture, which we are more familiar with when it talks about vagal tone. Okay. So if we're talking then about the, you were saying the position of the tongue 
um, drives posture. Is that through a uh, kind of me mechanoreceptive import or what's the mechanism by which tongue posture affects global posture or head posture or any piece of that? So our tongue posture, we need to be able to elevate our tongue to the palate. Yep. Um, and that actually allows us to nasal breathe. And so Got it. when we are unable to do that, whether it's through draw tension, through tongue posture, through tension underneath the tongue or a tongue tie, and tongue tie mm -hmm. just to say is actually just about function of the tongue. It's not that you have a frenulum or not underneath your tongue. So then we have to do our anterior head carriage, which opens yep. our airway. Without oh, doing it. that, um, then it's altering the rest of our posture. Now also, impacting the vagus nerve when our tongue has a low tongue posture when we are not being able to go into our parasympathetic um, higher vagal tone it puts us into that flexed stressed posture and that also is impacting our posture and then for our babies if we go all the way back to infants the way tongue posture is impacting they will not like tummy time they do not get their cervical curve so directly our tongue and jaw directly linked to our cervical curve yep Therefore, we're not going to get our proper curvature through our entire spine. You won't be able to walk the same way. And it also is going to impact just your overall development. So wow. it is so clearly linked. And then just one more thing that it's linked to, I get super excited about all this, is our oral, so our rooting reflex. Remember babies, you touch yeah. the side of their cheek and they try and eat you. They're like, ooh, yeah. let me eat, Yeah. right? It is directly linked to our hands and our feet. So the palmer and plantar reflex and oral reflex or rooting reflex or suck reflex are all very, very closely linked together. So when we can't um, have proper oral function, it will impact how our hands and feet work as far as even proprioception. So all of those pieces are linked together and no one talks about it. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms then, we started off talking about this as a thing for pediatrics for kids. And there's, I can see that if you have a child that is colicky or is not, um, not attaching well or has an obvious tongue tie or any of those things, that there would be a clear application there. I also, I guess I sort of picked up that you would see that it would be worthwhile all children being checked both for vertebral subluxation, but also for any dysfunction in the jaw and palate. Is that kind of the lens through which you're looking at this? Yeah, it, um, I feel that we, if we were able to, as chiropractors, actually assess um, oral function and tongue function and jaw position, so pediatric TMJD as well, yeah. on top of our typical neuro exams, um, which also is not often done for infants. So proper neuro exam, looking at their primitive reflexes, looking at what reflex have integrated and their developmental milestones. But the technique um, called the PIPS technique that I created, which kind of blends all of those things together, it's pediatric intraoral palate specific technique. Yeah. It actually can be translated to even teenagers, adults, just of skip wow. the P part of the PIPS. Yes. And that will also help them with snoring, help them with vagal tone, help them with um, hypertonia. So if they have a higher dural tone, um, helps with their 
primitive reflexes that they actually have skipped over that ha or have reappeared. So retained yeah. primitive reflexes. So the beautiful thing of when you learn some of these techniques and learn some of this information, it can translate to any of your practice members, regardless of if you only see a few pediatrics or none at all, it will mm -hmm. alter how you can care for your practice members. Wow, awesome. And so then in terms of the application for you in practice, I know that you've got a very broad sort of background in terms of having spent years and years and years immersed in that world of um, pediatrics and taking care of pregnant women or women wanting to be pregnant when you were doing when when you were talking a lot about fertility type work. Mm -hmm. How do you? Is this sort of the starting point of assessment that you would have? Say somebody brings their child for you to to check them out. Um, would the starting point of your approach be, look, it starts with tongue function, so I'm looking there first, or is it integrated into a broader view of the spine and cranium, or how does it all piece together for you? Um, it's not the only thing I look at, but it's definitely a very important piece that most often is missed. So I oh, okay. absolutely also look at cranial um, I look at their, for vertebral subluxations, I look at dural tone, I do a tonal assessment as well. That's really important when we're working with pediatrics and children. Um, and then we also look inside the mouth. I finish my examination by looking inside the mouth. Two reasons okay. why I finish that. I finish it um, because, well, once a baby starts sucking on your finger, if you take it away, they get very angry with you. So we don't necessarily <laughs> yes. want to start with that. And then it allows you to be assessing how everything else is functioning. Look at how that baby is responding to touch um, or the children as well. And then finish for my super kids, which I like to call any of my kids who are on the spectrum, because it's not just for babies. I'm not going to put my finger in their mouth before we have a relationship of trust because they'll bite my finger. If you put your finger yeah. in the mouth with teeth, of course, yeah. they're going to bite it. So yeah. allowing me to do utilize um, kiddo directed care where I can be assessing them and then finish off with that. Um, I find that works best and gives us sort of that icing on the cake where we can really understand, okay, these are all the other findings we've had, whether it's hypertonia, whether it is um, a subluxation in the upper cervicals, we've done cranial assessment, and then we finish off by checking the palate, checking the jaw, and then checking underneath the tongue. Awesome. So along the way there, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about a tongue tie that, that, and I may have misunderstood it, but I got the impression you were saying that's a functional issue rather than the presence of a frenulum. What, what, can you unpack that a little bit for me? Yeah. So most people who don't know a lot about tongue ties, they look underneath their tongue or a child's tongue and they see a frenulum, which is the piece of connective tissue going from the base of the tongue to the floor of the mouth. Yeah. And so they assume if it's there and the baby is having challenges with latching or having challenges with speech, then it must be a tongue tie. If they don't see one, then they assume, oh, well, there must not be a tongue tie. So, oh, well, I guess either mom just doesn't have enough milk or it's just not going to work. Now, I'm not saying chiropractors do this. I'm talking broadly as far as um, any healthcare practitioner who's assessing and working with mm. infants from a specific standpoint of oral function or feeding. Yeah. When, but it's not the case. So we might have someone who has um, a significant frenulum that is visible, but they're able to elevate not just the front of their tongue, but the middle of their tongue. And that's what mm -hmm. needs to happen. 
And then we have some where it doesn't look like it, but that's what's called a posterior tongue tie. And that's where there's tension. It's kind of like if you're riding a horse and you pull back on the reins yeah. and that's what a posterior tongue tie is pulling back on the reins. So it's holding that tongue backwards, which can lead to um, lack of uh, cervical curve, the uh, retracted jaw. It can also impact as far as their airway. And then the other thing it can do is, you know, when you hear babies are, um, they sound congested all the time. They sound mm -hmm. mucusy. Um, yep. That is because their tongue is not able to get the milk all the way down the throat. So the milk is then sitting between the nose and the throat to a degree, and that will make them sound very congested. So that's where the functional piece comes in, where yep. we assess and we want that function to be improved. It does not mean that you always need to have a release done. Okay. Right. So um, we want to see how much function we can get as chiropractors, to be honest, anyone working with tongue ties, love chiropractors more than we actually love each other. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> They're like, Oh my gosh, you're a chiropractor. We love you. We could not yeah. do what we do without you because they understand the importance. And that's one of the pieces I'm trying to get out there is chiropractors. They need us. They want us. So let's stop hiding in the shadows and get out there and do what we do. Even if you don't know a lot about oral function, you know how to assess upper cervicals. You know how to assess dural tone. You know how to assess cervical, um, the cranial areas. You know how to assess the sacrum. Even doing that will help release a lot of that tension, which will release the tongue movement. So if there is a release that's needed, um, that you'll have proper tongue function after that. Can I actually get you to help me with one other thing that you mentioned a couple of times there around dual tone? So my sense is that there's a lot of chiropractors now who perhaps haven't been made aware of what dual tone is and what influences it and uh, what creates increased dual tone and therefore what they should be looking for or what they need to do from uh, increasing their understanding to be able to help people in that way. So can you maybe, I know that's not necessarily directly the, the topic that we're talking about, but just if we can fill that out as well. Yeah. Um, so Dural tone, most of us are not about tonal assessments and tonal techniques in school, in any school, regardless of what country you go to. Um, even the most philosophically based schools, they don't do a lot of work on tonal assessments. Um, so dural tone, the, I can explain it for a lot of your listeners. They might understand it if I explain it the way I explain it to a parent. Um, so dural tone I always say dura is like the leather that protects our brain. It comes down, protects our whole spinal cord and the last string of it attaches to our tailbone or coccyx. Yeah. So when we have tension at the top, we'll have tension at the bottom. Now that allows you as a chiropractor to understand it can impact anywhere from upper cervicals all the way down to the sacrum and the coccyx, which yeah. is going to impact their ability. Um, so we'll see a lot of kids who have dural tone. One symptom or red flag is that the parents will tell you, oh, they're very strong. They can hold their head up from birth. Okay, That's hypertonia. Yeah. Like yeah. We don't want babies to be able to hold their head up from birth. They should be like itty bitty floppy babies. They yeah. can have a second where they hold it and then collapse. And the number of chiropractors who always, I love how they're like, oh my gosh, maybe you hit every milestone ahead of time. That's mm -hmm. actually a red flag that that child has high tone. 
We don't yeah. want high tone. We want to be somewhere in the middle. So the dural tone can show up as um, a jaw that doesn't open up all the way, upper cervicals that are having a lot of tension. So it looks, if you are someone that um, can understand the picture of what a posterior occiput or an anterior occiput, a lot of times we will see more of a posterior occiput yeah. with yeah. the specific dural tone. Yeah. Um, then if they're a little bit older, we'll see anterior occiput because they've compensated so their eyes can see where they're going. Yeah. So that's that they won't want to do tummy time. They'll have a lot of digestive tension and issues. They'll be um, very rigid. So they're holding themselves. They want to look out all the time. They don't want to be curled in. So the babies who they just want to see where they're going. Babies don't want to see where they're going. Babies okay. want to be curled against you, but when they have higher tone, they want to be facing out all the way. So those are some of the things that you would look at from a tonal assessment standpoint. Just if I can just um, clarify one thing, part of that issue with uh, tone, that uh, increased dural tone coming from the top or the bottom is that that's essentially where the only dural attachments are. The rest of the, the, the majority of the spine doesn't have dural attachments to the spine. It's really just at the top and the bottom. Is that kind of an accurate what yeah. it is yes it, it those are where the connections are and then what happens yeah. is because the nerves are coming out where the spine is um that's where you have but there's not a connection there that's yeah, where yeah. The you can have you can have yes. an expression of tension there but it's not it's driven more by dysfunction at the top and the bottom and that's why upper cervical, or if you're just looking at the poles, that's why a lot of techniques talk about check cervicals and check sacrum first, sacrum. check yeah, thoracic yeah. secondary. So primary yeah. and secondary subluxations. Yeah. Um, but regardless of what technique you do and where you start, when that, the other reason we have to look at this is when we're working on pediatrics, it is important to check upper cervicals and all the way down to the sacrum. And I'm not an upper cervical practitioner where I'm trained that way, but even speaking to a lot of my upper cervical docs, most of them for infants actually look at upper cervicals all the way down to sacrum. They don't necessarily do just straight upper cervical work yeah. for those who I've talked to and until they're ambulatory or they can walk. Yeah. So um, if we can, you were mentioning along the way the PIPS technique and you're coming, you're coming to Australia as part of the Kids Summit, but there's an extra special opportunity for people in Australia or New Zealand or I guess anywhere if you want to fly to Sydney for a weekend in September, but you're running a PIPS workshop before the Kids Summit. Is, can, did you want to maybe tell us a little bit about that? And that I'm assuming will give people a really good grounding in the issues that we're talking about here. Yeah, I um so I was I was asked if I would be willing to also do this extra um class because number one, it's been so hard for most of us to get in-person training. And I'm already coming and I know it's been a challenge to get um pediatric uh education in lots of countries, including in Australia right now. And so what I'm going to be doing is um the PIPS technique and the certification for it and the training for it, I've broken it down because it's part of normally a two and a half day course that I do about advanced pediatric boot camp, um, yep. which is available also, but because I've now had to shift some of that to doing virtually. So there are virtual recordings. 
but I only had time. Um, and also our brain capacity is only capable of so much yeah. learning in a weekend and the kids summit is going to be brilliant. So what I do, did is I'm taking the PIPS education and talking about pediatric TMJB, we're going to talk about the neural connections and the impact and the importance of oral function as chiropractors and how clinically relevant it is, all the mm -hmm. way to educating you on how to assess. So the PIPS technique is an assessment as well as a treatment option. So shows you the assessment, how do we assess, how do we assess consistently, and then we also will talk about um, how do we as chiropractors also work if there is oral restrictions, sphenoid faults, we talk about um, pediatric TMJD, how do we get the jaw to function, and then all the way down for some of the adjustment techniques that we will add. And I don't, I don't just talk for infants, we'll be educating all the way through. So that, as I said before, the technique can be applied to multiple ages. So we talk about how it's modified, how it can be integrated into your practice in your current flow, because that's also important. You know, yes. how do we make this work and what we're already doing and how it can expand upon how the level at which you're already serving your current practice members. Perfect. And so that is, on. if people want to want details of that, um, do they register via the Kids Summit or do they register with you? How does that work? They register with me. Um, so they will go to babyboomcreations.ca and listed in there under the events and seminars. Um, all the seminars are listed, including the uh, PIP certification in Australia. Perfect. And it's a five so hour, five hour course that we're doing. Excellent. So I'll have the link to that in the show notes. So don't uh, feel like you've got to rewind and write it down. The link will be in the show notes. And so just looking at that, the speaking to chiropractors who are uh, listeners to Under the Influence, I would see that there's a bunch of people who already have a big focus of taking care of kids in their practice. Or uh, And I can see that this would be a phenomenal add-on for them. I can also sort of see, though, that if, if pediatric uh, taking care of kids is an area that you're interested in, doing something like this where you're getting an in-depth understanding of a really important area would be a really useful building block even if you're fairly early is that accurate it's it's something that would be accessible even if you're fairly you're a chiropractor but you haven't done a whole lot of postgraduate um, pediatric training yet absolutely so I've made it and I break it down so it will be um, easy to understand even if you haven't had the opportunity to do a lot of pediatric training, or you're not sure that you want to, um, all the way through to individuals who are caring and serving large numbers or a majority of their practice is pediatrics. This is something that um, I've really, over the years, I have had the opportunity to dive very, very deep into this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I've also branched out where I'm speaking and learning from multiple different disciplines. So I do a lot of speaking now for a dental dentists and understanding for oral care providers. And I've taken all of that information and put it together. So we have a broad understanding, which will also add to the ability in which you can um, co-manage your practice members. You can talk to other professionals in your community where you can actually understand how you can work together. And that's yeah. a really big piece that I um, am so passionate about is, is that community coming together in that team approach. It doesn't mean you have to have the whole team in your practice or your clinic, but yeah. having that team approach for our overall health and care, because really our communities need that. 
Absolutely. Well, it sounds super exciting, super interesting. So sort of going back a little bit, um, how did you sort of get into chiropractic originally and how did you get into uh, this interest in pediatric chiropractic more specifically and how did you then go, I guess, sort of into an even more uh, sort of specialised area of it in terms of that uh, intraoral function? So what was the journey? Well, back when I was born, no. Um, so when I was younger, I, um, I saw a chiropractor a couple of times when I was a child. Um, and then I don't know why we stopped. We just stopped. Um, and then I was a gymnast when I was younger and my body started falling apart. And so I tried lots of other options for care. And eventually I was told I just had to quit gymnastics because my back um, was not going to withstand the amount of training that I was doing. Um, Fast forward to high school. So that was that going into high school, I had to quit. Fast forward into high school. I was the lead in the plays at school and my back went out and we didn't have time for my back to go because I was the lead in the play and we had to go into our... um, into our season. So my director at the time had a chiropractor and he said, you have to go try my chiropractor. And, um, that is the only thing that really changed how my body was functioning. It, my back would stop as they would always say, well, your back keeps going out. Um, I was a teenager. Your back is not supposed to quote unquote, go out. And So um, that is what introduced me where I really thought, okay, this is something I want to dive into more. I became, and I was under care and I stayed under care um, through university. I knew I wanted to go into healthcare field even before then. I just wasn't sure exactly what field. Mm -hmm. Um, From there, I decided chiropractic is what I feel I am called to do. So I went and I worked for this chiropractor for a couple summers to make sure I understood sort of the ins and outs of a chiropractic practice to make sure that's what I wanted to do. Not just, you know, the fun and glory part, but the nitty gritties as well. Um, And then from there, I uh, proceeded to go to chiropractic uh, school and the rest is sort of history. I I do feel very grateful that um, I feel chiropractic, I chiropractic was what I was meant to do and meant to be. It's, uh, it's something I, I live and I breathe my children. Um, as I think a lot of us can recognize there, they were adjusted from the moment they were born really. I mean, they were cared for when I was pregnant and preconception, but from the moment they were born placed on me, they are healthy. They're well, they, they adapt usually well. I mean, they're teenagers, so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they adapt pretty well anyway yeah um, adapt as and, well as is possible yeah yeah exactly yeah. and then from there so I had my daughter at the very end of school so oh really while you're at chiropractic college yeah, she, okay she she arrived she arrived as far as I conceived six months before we planned on it <laughs> I was like let's start trying in six months and then oh wow look at that that trip to Thailand <laughs> did some good things <laughs> So hang on, just before we go on, where did you go to school? I went to uh, I went to school down in Chicago at National Chiropractic College. Now it's National yeah. University of Health Science. So yeah. it is very much um, a, a medically based chiropractic school, I would call it that, yeah. more so now than it was. 
But yeah. uh, there were some great instructors and, you know, you learn a lot sitting in the bowels of the school and in the technique lab. So I knew so when I did, was going through school, I wanted to work on technique. So how did you end up at um, National, given that, you know, you probably, I'm assuming if you're, uh, you grew up near where you're practicing now, you're sort of right near CMCC. Um, so I applied to CMCC and I got in, but um, I was married and my husband's mm. company, I still am, but my husband's company <laughs> is working in, uh, had a sister office in Chicago. And the got reason it. I was looking at national is I loved the um, broad scope of practice. So the, the education I would get outside of Ontario, I thought was great. And then, um, because he was able to get transferred there, I also from national, they will accept the credits back at, um, CMCC. So I thought worst case, if it doesn't work out, we can come back and go to CMCC. And so that's how I ended up. And we thought we don't have a house. We don't have kids. Like let's go on an adventure. And uh, Chicago is a pretty awesome place to live. I have to say. Yeah, it's a cool city. It's a super, super cool city. Anyway, I interrupted you. Sorry, you had a child yeah. immediately upon graduating. Yes, you know, lovely to write board exams with a newborn. That's yeah. for sure. But wow. <laughs> yes, that, that's a whole other story where uh, we I had to fight the fight to let them, let them, they were going to tell me not to have my newborn with me uh, for my board exams. They 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 pushed back and said a little bit of I said well you know, they can sequester wherever I just need to have access to my baby to breastfeed and um, the person I talked to got a little exasperated and they finally said I mean really can't you just give your child formula for those few days is that going to really kill you oh. oh I know so think of mama lion newborn stressed out the wazoo getting ready for boards and I said oh I said okay I'm going to tell you what you can do. You either will come up with the solution in the next 24 hours, or my infant is going to be sitting with me and I'm going to breastfeed on demand and she'll get, she'll just disrupt people when she cries and when I have to change her diaper. And they said, oh, oh, okay, we'll get this figured out. So they figured it out. They sequestered my husband and daughter and I could go and breastfeed in between. And, but I was shocked and appalled, but uh, yeah, yes. So I got my hands on babies from the get-go. So I I feel that allowed me to be comfortable around um, newborns that a lot of chiropractors coming to school maybe wouldn't have that opportunity. No. I just, I realized they weren't going to break in my hands. Um, With that, as I proceeded and, and went into practice, I was already doing the family wellness because that's where I was at. I had a young family and that's who I was attracting. I was doing a lot of work with fertility, um, recognizing how we can, again, break through those barriers, but how chiropractic can really assist with the preconception and also with uh, fertility challenges, which then guess what? People get pregnant and then they have babies. So then you start seeing more babies. And then I started diving into more of how can we serve them better? I I don't feel I'm getting enough. This whole idea of, well, when a newborn's born, you just check these things and then, okay, check them once a month. Just, it didn't sit with me. So I kept going, diving deeper. And luckily um, I was afforded the opportunity when I started speaking more and traveling around the world speaking, you get exposed to so many brilliant speakers that you wouldn't get in your own little pool. So I was over in Australia. And at that time, 
pediatrics in Australia was like the forefront. So I was able to learn and chat with, and luckily many of them were my friends. And so we could really brainstorm and, and um, how can we serve these families at a higher level? How can we make changes as their nervous systems developing, which is going to change how they present as an adult. It's going to change their life expression. So that is sort of what drove me. And then finally, the big thing for me that I've recognized over the years is if I can't find it, I create it. So yep. I just I just have that piece in, in my soul, that chiropreneur where this is an underserviced area. There's a need for this. Our community needs it. There's a hole. How do I assist and then educate other chiropractors so we can help fill this void again, changing what our society looks like. So that's sort of where I am now. Awesome. And so along that journey, who or what would you say were your biggest sort of chiropractic influences? So many, <laughs> so many. It's hard to, it's hard to list them all. I, I would say um, initially, I loved listening to, um, she's no longer with us, sadly, but Dr. Carolyn Malizia, uh, brilliant speaker, beautiful words. So she was able to resonate with my soul, which gave me this understanding from a cellular level who I was to become. I, 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 so she was brilliant. Um, I, from a research standpoint, I love what Heidi Havoc is doing. She, you know, she's really helping us break into more of the world, um, which fits into the Kids Summit because, you know, so much is going to research. James Chestnut in Canada um, has a very unique way of being able to break down very complex. He just reads and reads and reads and he can break down that information and then really um, share it with us. So it's clinically relevant for us as chiropractors. Um, Other speakers, you know, Jen Floriani, Jen Barn Floriani, obviously, uh, and Simon yeah. are um, brilliant at what they do. Um, so those two, um, even, and then Lacey Book from a standpoint of a female in business, Monica Berger, mm-hmm. I, I love for her pediatric piece, Marty Rosen for his cranial work, he's astounding at. And then, um, and then what I've found though for my influences is, it's taking pieces. So anyone listening, don't look at a topic and think I need, I need to be a hundred percent in sync with that topic. What piece can I take from that seminar, that lecture, that, that individual I'm speaking with that will help make me a better practitioner, help me serve my practice members better. So I start, when I started looking at what nugget can I take away instead of what jacuzzi experience can I have where yeah. I'm, I can't implement anything. It, it changed who my influencers were, you know, yeah. you and I have had amazing chats listening to you and the way you have broken down communication was a game changer for me. Um, Glowacki, Brad Glowacki, the way he talks about how you can change, how you can educate, communicate John Minardi for um, his ability to break down the neurology of chiropractic so it's clinically applicable so as you can see like a ton of people um but I guess what it is for me is not just I'm not just diving deep with pediatrics I dove deep into okay I I need to improve my communication or I feel I want to learn more about this and then that takes 
your ability to retain information and share it. So mm -hmm. we can no longer be this best kept secret. So we can actually let the masses understand how important because I feel truly in my soul that a chiropractor should be on every single individual in their wellness team. Yeah, I, I feel every, every human should have that. And the only reason people don't is because either they haven't met the right person for them. Doesn't mean that chiropractor was bad. It's just not the right connection for them or they just don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, that was very well articulated. Thank you. That was uh, awesome. So any other life influences that have informed not so much your chiropractic view of the world, but your just general way that you like to live in the world? Um, I grew up back when I was born. My parents were hippies. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, so I would say just the implementation of my cottage nature, uh, really taking those pauses, having, having that alone time where with movement added to it. So for me, it's movement. I love to run. Um, my knees hurt right now, so I can't run. So that, so I've had to come up with other ways, but for me, that was getting that creative juices flowing. So influences for me are really, taking those quiet moments to do those gut checks and say, okay, what, where am I, how am I doing? And, and I've had to really do that a lot more over the last couple of years because it's been a super stressful time. And um, I would say creating some of that grounding experience for me has also been incredibly important because we're taking so much energy from all of our practice members that we touch that we have to be able to ground ourselves. So we don't, have too much sympathetic overdrive from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I would say really, I nature, the nature looking out the it's awe inspiring. And then, and then my children, um, from a practice standpoint, my practice members, when you really listen to the words they say, and you just let them absorb, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And um, so don't be afraid to honor that and be excited yeah. for them. I'm a bit of a cheerleader, but, um, that, and, and then food and coffee. I'm a foodie. I'm a coffee. I like wine. So Excellent. those all influence me. Sometimes. All the good things. Yeah. Sometimes in different ways, but, uh, yes. they're all really, they're all really great. They're, they're sort of the, uh, give the excitement to life really, don't they? Or the, the, yeah. uh, sensual pleasure, let us say. Well, it's all about balance. You know, I was saying my parents are hippies. My middle name is free because they wanted me to be a free spirit. So uh, like they were truly hippies. They we lived were, on a farm. Were. I gathered, I gathered eggs from the chickens. You know, we grew our vegetables. We did all, we did all of that stuff. So it, uh, yeah, I mean, having that balance of, I, I love to work hard and I play harder. And then I, yeah. that allows me to then work hard. So filling your own bucket um, yeah. is, is something that really influences me. That's awesome. So I'm very much looking forward to catching up next month or next. No, it's not next month. Is it September? So we this um, we are speaking in July. This is probably going to be coming out late July or early August. I would really encourage people to um, make the effort, get their phenomenal opportunity to learn um, about chiropractic pediatrics generally upskill with the whole uh, kids summit and the link for that will be in the show notes but 
just arrive a little bit early and really upskill in a very specific, tangible way in a super important area uh, in terms of the intraoral palate specific technique, both pediatric and non-pediatric. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. I learned heaps. I've made lots of notes here. Uh, can't wait to learn more with you in September. So anything else you want to share before we finish off? Um, no, I mean, I think you really summed it up there, but please um, support your local seminars. The Kids Summit is going to be amazing and they are, they are giving that money for research, which is going to further our understanding, our certainty, and, and more important, what we can share to our communities. So um, don't be afraid to go there and learn, even if you're not sure if it's going to resonate with you. Those are the best ones to go to you know, yeah. go and experience those uh, things. And then um, um, for those who are coming, I made sure it was Friday afternoon. So those who want to serve first thing in the morning, we're all good. And you Excellent. can still make it and learn. Um, and I'm really excited to be there. I, I love, uh, I'm so excited to come back to Australia. I love sharing with you. And I feel Canadians and Auss Aussies are, are very similar in how we yeah. like to learn and how we like to grow. So I'm just super excited and thank you for having me. My pleasure. Lovely to see you as always. If you enjoyed today's episode, then you will love the Mastering Daily Interactions online workshop. It's a three-part online workshop that will show you an exact framework that you can use on every visit to make sure that your patients or clients are getting that drip, drip, drip feed of information that will help them create a greater connection to the understanding at the core of chiropractic. You see, the truth of it is that people change beliefs or learn new beliefs gradually and they learn them based on their experience. So you can have the best report of findings in the world, but if you don't have that reinforcement over time of a specific efficient structure that allows you to connect and create individualized value on every visit, then you're never going to get as good a results. So check out the Mastering Daily Interactions website at insideoutpractices.com.